0: Come on, let's pray and let's get into the word. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in these two lives, in Amanda and in Deborah and then just so many others that you're working in us and your resurrection life is revealing itself. And I pray that as we continue uh, to share these stories, that you would convince all of us that we can experience resurrection life together. We thank you for what you're doing. We acknowledge it, and we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you ready to study the scripture? Get your Bible out, get a journal out, or or maybe your worship guide, and you can write some stuff on that. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 is where we're going to start. As you know, we've been in a series called Resurrection Stories. We kicked it off last week and on Easter Sunday, and we're looking at the stories of Jesus, His resurrection stories in uh, the Gospels, and we're looking at how He interacted with the disciples and others who saw Him after His resurrection. And it's a really, really fun to look back and to see how Jesus shared resurrection life with others. And so today I'm going to talk to you about an idea, and I'm calling it formed by life, formed by life. What we're all in the process of is being formed by resurrection life. We're being spiritually formed by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, and that's something that goes on inside of us. But one of the things that I think we struggle with as Christians, that we struggle with as believers, I think all believers wrestle with this, and it is... The application of life, the life-giving spirit of Jesus, how does it work itself out in normal life? We tend to look at resurrection life as something supernatural, something amazing that's, that's really, really very spiritual, and it happens on the inside of us. And that's true. It does happen on the inside of us. But how do we let it work itself out? How does it work itself out into real Life. What we're doing here is not abstract religion. Okay, it's not um, it's not God as a kind of ethereal uh, belief system that we connect to just in our minds. That's not what that's not what resurrection life and power is. Resurrection life leads to something where we put our lives together with what Jesus has done with his life, and our lives as they intersect begin to produce something. If we don't understand this, then what happens is we end up separating and segmenting our lives. We segment our spiritual life and our secular life. One of the reasons I loved meeting in the movie theater was because I'd open many a service and say, we like to say that God takes something secular and makes it sacred, A secular venue and makes it a place where he meets with people. I want you to know that that's what God does to you and to me. We got to talk about this intersection of something that's supernatural and spiritual with with our routine lives. Nobody wants to talk to a Christian who separates those worlds. Nobody wants to talk to a Christian who's totally separated from the world. And can't interact, can't understand, can't connect. Jesus, when he prayed for his disciples, what did he say? He said he prayed for his disciples that they would be in the world and not of the world. We gotta operate and function in an integrated way. People want the real thing, don't they? Don't they just want the genuine article? Don't they just want the authentic thing? Don't they want it to be real? They want to see and touch and taste the genuine faith that only comes when you and I are willing to live our lives every day in a way that they can see resurrection life. Okay, what does that look like? Well, I want to look at what Jesus did after he was resurrected. I want to look at a couple stories. Three, in fact. A couple is two. Three is a few. We'll look at a few stories. Luke chapter 24, go over there with me, and we'll start at verse 13, and I want you to see what Jesus did. Luke 24, 13 says, now that same day, okay, what day was it? It's resurrection day, all right? That's where the story is. Jesus has risen from the dead, and that same day, the story picks up, it says two of them, two of who? Two of the disciples Two of the disciples are on a journey, all right? So here we go. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, all right? So Jerusalem is seven miles that way from Emmaus, which is this way, all right? Kind of like Sunset Valley and Dripping Springs. That would be a little farther than that. That would be about 14 miles. So so just about twice as far, but here they are. They're traveling seven miles, and they're walking, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened, And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Sometimes Jesus is walking with you and you don't know it. In fact, I think think Jesus does this on purpose. Because he's trying to build something in you. He's trying to stretch your faith. He's trying to encourage you to persevere. We see the personality of Jesus. Look what happens. They were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17 says, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? (laughs) Do you think Jesus knew what they were discussing? Pretty much, yeah. He showed up and he knows what they're, they're discussing, but he's asking the question. He wants to know what's going on inside them. It's no different today. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor here in Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened in these two days? Essentially what he's saying, man, are you from out of town? Don't you have cable TV? You don't know what's going on? I mean, this is crazy what's happening here. The the whole town's in an uproar. Notice what Jesus says, what things? Jesus is like, what things? Tell me all about them. I don't know anything about these things. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I want you to hear the emotion in that sentence. They're walking along. They're telling Jesus about all this. They don't know it's Jesus. They said, we had hoped that he was the one. You can hear the disappointment in their hearts as they say it. We we had hoped he was this one who would deliver Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of the women amazed us and they went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, and then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Here's what was happening. They're trying to wrap their brains around the idea that somebody can be resurrected, (laughs) that actually... It can truly, really happen. It's not just spiritual mumbo-jumbo. It actually has repercussions in the tangible world. They're trying to wrap their minds around this idea. Can this really happen? Are you guys tracking with me? Don't you feel the same way sometimes? Don't you think people's questions in our in our society, in our culture, have this at the very core. What is this? How does this really work? I know there's God up there somewhere, but how does it really work in the real world? They're trying to wrap their minds around this. So look what happens here. Where did we stop? 25? All right. Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. How come you're so slow is what he says? (laughs) How come you're so slow to believe? You already know what the prophets have said. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that means he went through the Pentateuch, the Torah, He began to talk about Moses. He talked about all the prophets and all the prophetic words that were spoken about the Messiah, and he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, I love this, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. I thought that was funnier than you did. Jesus is acting like he's going farther. Okay, see you guys later. When all the while he's waiting, what's he waiting for? He's waiting for them to invite him. It's the same with you and me. He's waiting for us to invite him in to everything that we're doing. He walks along, he keeps he's like, like he's going to go on ahead, and they said to him, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went and stayed with them. Listen, every day there's a decision that you and I make. Multiple decisions that you and I make, whether to include Jesus or whether to go on with our own plans. Verse 30 says, when he was at the table with them. So they come to the table, a table like this. They're sitting across from him. And he comes to the table and look what happens. He took the bread and he gave thanks. He prayed over it and then he broke it. And as he broke it, what happened? Their eyes were opened. Wait a minute, I've seen this before. He broke the bread in front of them, and their eyes were opened. He was revealed over a meal. He was revealed over the breaking of bread. He was revealed, and then what happened? And he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> What is that? What is, what is going on? Jesus, this is what I think where we see the personality of Jesus. His one goal was to reveal himself to them. He's revealed to them. And if you keep going, let's keep going, because I want you to see that a lot of what we see in resurrection stories happened around a table. The resurrected Christ began to make the rounds and Connect with people and talk to them and share a meal with them. Look at what happened here. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You know what I think this is? I think this is like, didn't you kind of know it? Yeah, I kind of knew it. Yeah, I kind of saw it coming, didn't you? Our hearts were burning. I knew something was happening. Then they got up and returned it to at once to Jerusalem and there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying it's true the Lord is risen and was has appeared to Simon and then the two told them what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread and when they were still talking about this okay so here they are they're still talking about it they're telling this story you would not believe it we he broke the bread and we saw him and then he was like gone it was amazing And so Jesus says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. (laughs) And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, now, now, okay, they know he's resurrected. They're hearing the stories. They understand it. But they still can't wrap their minds around it. How does this apply to real life? What is going on here? Jesus is trying to show them. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do you doubt in your minds? Ooh, that's a good passage to underline. Why are you so troubled? Why do you doubt that Jesus is alive? Why do you doubt whether or not Jesus is with you? Why do you doubt whether or not God has a plan and a purpose for you? Why do you doubt that you have resurrection life on the inside of you? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch and see it. Ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Jesus is there in the flesh. Not in the supernatural, hocus pocus, kind of magical, pixie dust. Jesus. (laughs) That's not Christianity. Jesus is flesh and bone. There's realness to him. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed... Hit them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, they're just overwhelmed. He asked them, Do you guys got anything to eat around here? I'm kinda hungry. Jesus was trying to show them something. Number one, that he was real. He wasn't a figment of their imagination. He wasn't just spiritual. He was actually tangible, physical, touchable. There's something here that Jesus is trying to teach us. And so what, it, what happens? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he, ate, he took it and ate it in his presence. I want you to think about meals. I want you to think about being at a table. All over the world, there's one common denominator that transcends culture. One common denominator and it is sharing a meal. It speaks to us about the reality, the touchableness of our lives. If you, if you think about it, it's something every creature has to do. Every creature has to ingest, has to take fuel or food into themselves to stay alive. Every living thing. And, uh, and so you think about this in, in this way. We have needs and there's provision for our needs. You think about the meal. It is, a, it is something that provides for our physical needs, right? It is something that provides for our social needs, for conversation and intimacy. You sit and you talk to somebody across the table. You share bread and you share drink. And you, and you, sh- you share something in a conversation and there's intimacy. You share not only physical and social but cultural. You create traditions and values at the table. I think this resurrection story can speak to us because of the meals that Jesus ate with his disciples. He broke bread with the two on the road. He came back to the disciples and ate some fish with them. And then in John 21 that we talked about last week with Peter, he... He shows up on the beach, and he yells out to the disciples. They're out in the, in the sea, and he says, throw your net over to the other side. You'll catch something, and they catch 153 fish, and then they tow it to shore, and they get on the beach, and there's Jesus building a fire. I, you always wonder if he went... <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. He was interacting with our physical world. I think he built it just like you and me, and then he invited them to come over and put some fish on the flames and then broke bread together again. Think about, consider all the meals that are found in the culture of Jesus. All right, just go with me. I just got a list. I'll just read them to you real fast. The Lord's Supper, of course, is the most famous, right? Where we, where we celebrate Holy Communion, where Jesus encouraged us to share together. And at the, I, want to, I want to draw your attention to the fact that at the Lord's Supper, he confronted Judas. He shared his own pain, his own struggle. Jesus fed the four and the 5,000 where he took a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread and then he multiplied it. Jesus was accused of eating with tax collectors and sinners. He was always doing stuff with food. I mean, they walked everywhere, so he walked it off. But, but it, was, it wasn't like you and me. We have a little more trouble because we get in our cars and sit in our lazy boys. But, but there's something here about food. Jesus was accused of eating with tax collectors and sinners. Here's a question. When was the last time you broke bread with somebody who wasn't a believer? It'll tell you something about how, mu- how insulated you might be. Jesus was breaking bread with all kinds of people. He was anointed. <clears throat> oh, no. He invited himself. He invited himself to... Zacchaeus' house for dinner. Do you remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, the little song, Sunday school song, he was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. And he was in the tree and Jesus is walking along. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Jesus didn't know much about manners. He invited himself over for dinner. Jesus was anointed by the sinful woman at dinner. That happened around... A dinner engagement. Jesus challenged his disciples and followers to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. That sounds a little invasive. Jesus was telling his disciples something. You can't just be, hang around with me. You've got to take me into yourself, I've got to become part of your life. He called himself the bread of heaven. Jesus reveals himself after this Emmaus journey. He reveals himself to the disciples at breakfast on the beach. He tells the disciples, I have food that you know nothing about. He's trying to make the connection between what is spiritual and what is physical, and he's putting them together. He's bringing what is spiritual into reality, into real life. That's what we're working on. I wanted you to see three more ideas about the significance of meals because we're going to use them as a jumping-off place. We're going to use looking at meals through the resurrection story as a way of understanding how Jesus connected these worlds. The significance of meals. Number one, they're common to humanity, right? It's every person's got to have food. Young, old, rich, poor, each gender, every race... Is there anything we do as frequently and simply that gives that is found in both necessity and pleasure? Right? It's like this thing that we do most of you eat every day. Some of you several times a day. There's something pleasurable about that process, isn't it? I mean, Jack Allen's is one of my favorite restaurants. It's right over here, uh, right down the street. I love Jack Allen's. It's so good. It's not all good for you, but it's good. You've got to walk seven miles talking to Jesus after you eat there to walk it off. But there's something about this that's simple. The act of eating, in a way, obscures self importance. Think about how the act of eating obscures self importance. Now, I'm not talking about getting at a table where there's four pieces of silverware this way and four three pieces this way and three glasses over here. And it, but no matter what kind of table you're at, when it comes to the moment where you have to take the food, however small the fork is, or if you're using your hand and you've got to put it in your mouth, <laughs> it brings everybody down to the same level. <laughs> Everybody's at the same level. The manners people don't talk with their mouth full, but that bread is kind of sticky. Yeah, some of you are wondering, what is that? So I'd like to go to the next point. You might figure it out by the end. <laughs> so the, meals are about common humanity. We've got to speed up now. Meals are about common humanity. They're about sacrifice. One life gives itself for another. A meal is about sacrifice. Even uh, you vegans and vegetarians, <laughs> something gives up its life. <laughs> it was growing. It was alive. Now it's dead. It's going in you. I know. I just, I just discouraged all the vegans and vegetarians. Number three, the act of giving and receiving. When you come to a meal, there's something about giving and receiving. Jesus was wanting to highlight the activity of giving and receiving, sharing, participating, hosting. A good host doesn't make a big deal out of this thing. The sharing of bread and the sharing of food, it should not be a big deal. You know, my wife is so good at this. She makes people feel comfortable. She makes everything feel good. She's a great host. You know who else is great? Tony uh, Kelleher and Bill, who cooked all of the burgers yesterday, served all those 300 people. They did a great job. You can just tell. Yeah. Give them... They're great hosts. So how does this work? How do we use these meals and then jump to the application of being formed by life itself? How does life form us in reality? Number one, we are formed in the routines. Something about eating that is routine. Some people want to take... forsake all of the traditions. They see them as stale remnants of the past. And they don't want to deal with things that are meaningful and they have spiritual discipline associated with them. They want to leave them and they want to replace them with spontaneous and flashy experiences, supernatural experiences. Could I suggest to you that we have to have both? Could I suggest to you that the supernatural experiences that we have are only as good as the routine of our life and how well we integrate what Jesus is doing with us? This kind of Christianity, Christianity is not just a spiritual thing, it is something that involves both our spiritual lives and our physical lives. The Gnostics were a group of people that said everything spiritual is good and everything physical is bad. It went two different directions for them because they either ended up hating their bodies or abusing them with pleasure. It was a mess. Jesus said when he taught us how to pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The story of Jesus is about God's son who lives in heaven coming to earth and making his home here. There's an integration that happens that we've got to understand about resurrection life. That's why we say the creed every week. When we have our services, we stand up and we say these truths and we articulate them. We want to be rooted in the history of the church and the worship of Christ. But we don't want to just be rooted back there. We also want to be open to the mystery of God working here and now. It's both and. It's not one or the other. In that consistency, in that stability, when we say it over and over again, did you know that for, we just got through this 40 days in the Word thing that we did? It was awesome, and it taught a bunch of us that we're, we're weak in the routine of making time for Jesus every day. You know why we do that? We make time for him each day. We have a quiet time or have a loud time. I don't care. Whatever you need to stay awake while you're reading the Bible and praying. And you get the scripture. You get the bread of life into you because throughout that day, there's going to be decisions you're going to have to make that you're going to have to invite Jesus into. And he's waiting. He's standing there. He's looking. He's acting like he's going to keep going. But in reality, he's waiting. Resurrection life is revealed in the midst of ordinariness, the ordinariness of our daily routine, not in the sterile classroom or in abstract religion. That's why I loved seeing people serve all over our city. I loved hearing the stories about people coming to a moment where they had to intersect with people they'd never met before or people had to ask the question, what are you guys doing this for? Why are you doing this? And the, and the answer comes because we just want to be a blessing to our city. In other cases, it was we just want to demonstrate a practical experience of God's great love. And the discussion and the conversations that went on. Here's I, I have a little theology, all right? little theology that helps me take all the big stuff and put it down into a very simple phrase, all right? Because I don't, I don't know about all of the, um, you know, the... Um, Calvinists and the Arminius and the free will people and the God's sovereignty people are at all that's intention for me but here's what I know it's very simple when we do stuff God does stuff I don't know how I don't know which comes first all the time but I know that when we decide we're going to break out of our routine and we're going to go serve somebody in a park we don't know what's going to happen God's spirit intersects with what we're doing in our physical routine. All right, number two, we're formed in the tangible, the tangible. These meals were not staged for spiritual instruction. They were a response of being hungry and working hard. It wasn't, Jesus didn't sit down and, now let me go ahead and tell you how this works and how I'm here and how I'm going to disappear in just a moment. No, he broke bread and then their eyes were opened. Spiritual formation goes badly. Spiritual formation. We are spiritually formed poorly when we attempt to construct or organize ways of spirituality apart from the touchable, apart from the everyday, apart from ordinary life. That's why we can't just do stuff in a classroom to teach people. When we make disciples, it's not about information, information is just one little tiny piece we got to experience him in real life. I don't care how much Bible you know. What you need have to know is that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and you can pray and ask him for anything. And when you do with faith, you will be amazed at what happens. That's why, that's why there, are no, there are not any rules about who can share Jesus and when. In fact, the new believers, people who meet Jesus for the first time, he washes away their sins. They feel free and unburdened for the first time in their lives. Those are always the best evangelists. Those are the people that want to tell others about him. Like, can you believe what happened to me? I can't believe this happened. You know what's happening? The spiritual world is coming into them and then it's making sense in the real world. We're formed in the tangible Spiritual, uh, the Bible study, the prayer meetings, the Sunday worship, it's all of that's important. It's all good. We need to keep doing it. But over a lifetime, the unnoticed and unrecognized presence of the risen Christ at our meals, in our workplace, in our marriages, in our raising of our kids, that's where the formative dynamic takes place. And that's why you have to belong to a small group. That's why you've got to belong to a community, people who are going to help the formation process. People are going to help you in the encouragement of taking what is supernatural, the life of God that he put in you, the resurrection life that's in you, and then applying it to your life. Number three, we're formed in the exchange. Formed in the exchange. At neither meal, on any of three of these meals, did the resurrection overwhelm. Think about this. Recognition and confession were not forced. Jesus didn't say, You have to do this. He did not use his resurrection to bully people into worship or discipleship. He did scare them, but he did not bully his way in. In fact, he hid himself. They, here's the thing they believed as they participated. As they fed him some fish, and as he stood around and talked, they began to believe. That's the same with you and the rest of the world. People believe when you're willing to participate and engage. I know I know church has really bad baggage for a lot of people. But here's what I want us to be as one chapel. I don't want to be a I don't want to be a place where we make people believe what we believe first and then become just like us and then they can belong. That doesn't make any sense. I don't want to just make them go through this process and this journey. I want them to belong and engage. I want them to belong, and then I want them to begin to believe, and then I want them to become. Can you put that up on the screen? See that? It's not believe. Make people do what we think think the way we want to, and then they begin to become the right kind of person, and then we let them in. That is craziness. That is foolishness. That's not Jesus' model. Jesus' model was he ate with them. He exchanged. There was interaction. There was participation. He belonged in that community. They belonged in his community. He was okay with it. And then they began to believe. They watched him work. They began to see him break bread. They began to do stuff with him. He began to do stuff with them, and then it it came alive to them. And then finally... They became his disciples. That's what our church needs to be. That's what we need to look like. If we can do this, we need to, here's what we need to do. We need to practice resurrection life. You and I, we need to practice it. We need to think about it. We need to do it on a daily basis. We need to think about how it works. Not in the sense of um, that we're trying to get better at it. Right? I'm not talking about, oh, i got to practice this. I'm not very good at resurrection life. Okay. No, so you're not trying to get better at it. You're practicing it like a, like a doctor or a lawyer. Have you ever noticed it's a, it's a practice? They call it a practice. And here's the two things I think about doctors and lawyers when I hear that. It consumes them. It consumes them. They think about it. They they know. I have tons of material and information. It's 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 in them by study. It's in them by experience. It's all around them. And then when they come to a meal, this, this happens all the time because my father-in-law is a is an ER doc. So every practically every meal we ever go to. So uh, yeah, I got something like on my ankle, and I don't know what that is. And you think you could take a look at that for me? It's not just. Something he practices when he's at the hospital. It ends up being all through his life. We've got to practice resurrection this way. We can't just engage in liturgy here. We have to let the liturgy out the doors. We have to live it out there. All right, put your stuff aside and we're going to participate at the table. Because I want you, I want you to offer yourself in a new way. I wanna show you just one more thing. I want you to put your stuff aside and I want you to look up here at me and I want you to see how Jesus handled each of these meals. I want you to look at four verbs that he uses through all these meals that we've been talking about. When Jesus got together with people, I want you to look at it. Put those, put those verbs up there. It, the, the scripture says that Jesus took the bread. Then he blessed it. And then he broke it, and then he gave it. Now, here's the problem. <laughs> we want him to take what we give him, right? Right? So we need to offer ourselves to him, and then we just want him to bless it, and then we'll go on our way. I, wanna, I, I just want to be blessed, Jesus. That's all I need. I just need you to bless me. No, there is a whole another part of the process. Look at what it says here. Jesus takes what we bring to him. Jesus takes what we bring to him, and then he blesses and gives thanks for what we bring. He's grateful whenever you include him. He's grateful for what you offer him. But then there's this other part of the process. Jesus breaks what we bring to him. Why does he do that? He wants you to learn that he is sufficient. He is provider. He is the one who can sustain your life. He doesn't want you to trust in what you have or what he gave you. He doesn't want you to just take what you have all blessed and all happy and then go off willy-nilly thinking you're awesome. He wants you to be humble in the way that you share your life with others. He wants you to see that you can't provide anything by yourself, that there is nourishment that you can only get from him. And as you take what you have and you give it to him, then he thanks you for it. He thanks God for it. He blesses it. Then he breaks it down. And he says, "This is how it really works." And then he gives it back to you, and then what happens? This is what he did to his disciples in the feeding of the four and 5,000. He gave it to the disciples first. How cool would that have been to have been standing there and watch people break off a piece of bread for an hour and a half? Think of that. He gave it back to them to be distributed. God wants to give you everything that he has planned for you, but you've got to be willing to surrender to him, you've got to be willing to surrender to his purpose, him being in charge of your life. You, there's something about really making resurrection life a reality. It's applying what you already know. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come. Come down here, down the front, and I, then I'm going to pray get prepared I'm gonna pass these little cups and those of you have been around a while you know don't don't pass it yet but there's these little cups and the top has a little piece that you take off and it reveals a little element and this represents the bread of Jesus the bread of heaven the body of Jesus he surrendered his body on a cross took our sins upon himself took your your place in my place It represents that. It represents Him sustaining you. And then you open up the second layer and it reveals the cup. And then you take that cup and you drink it and you receive forgiveness of sins. Now listen, it's a ritual, no doubt about it. We do it consistently. It's a routine. But when you add faith to it, something else happens. There's some mystical spiritual way where the physical activity of eating a little wafer that tastes like styrofoam. The common, the commonness of that little wafer. But holiness showing up in the middle of it. The plastic cup that holds the cup. And then holiness filling that cup. This, I don't understand all of how it works, but I know that when you take it with faith and you receive the work of Christ in your life, we're transformed. Transformed in the exchange. And I want to encourage you, we practice open communion at one chapel. That means that you don't have to be a member here to participate. It's not about being a member of a church. It's about sharing life with Christ. And so I want you to think about what it is you need to give up, what it is you need to surrender, what it is you need to yield to him, and then let him return it back to you. Let him work in you. Let him help you to apply what he's given you in your daily life this week to share resurrection life with others. So we're going to sing for a few moments. The ushers are going to pass, and you can take it when you're ready, on your own, as you're prepared, as you are surrendered, you receive those elements and we're gonna worship for a few moments. So Father, we take this time, we take this moment, we share at your table. We understand that it starts here. Everything starts here. And so make this a moment for each one of us where we can give and we can receive. Where we can see what you wanna do in our lives. We worship you and we celebrate your resurrection life that lives in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand up across the room and I wonder if you might join me in just opening your palms up to heaven, like just hands up. They don't have to go up here, but just opening them up in a posture of receiving, a posture of giving. And just, Father, you see our lives and you see our hearts. And we pray all across the room that you take us Take what you've given us. You're the originator in the first place. So whatever we have, we offer it to you. For some of us, it feels like not much because we are broken already and and frustrated with our lives and lost and tormented. But Lord, we don't know what else to do really. So there is nothing else to do but give it to you. Let you take it and let you Thank God for it and bless it. Bless our past and bless what we've been through. And then you're going to break it down and you're going to use it. Somehow you're going to mold it and shape it. Not in the brokenness of the past or in the shame of sin, but in a brokenness that yields fruit and yields resurrection life. You're going to help us understand even in our brokenness, your healing distributed and then you're gonna give it back to us and you're gonna ask us to share it with the world and so Lord Jesus do that in us today I pray across this room that people would commit their lives to you we commit our lives to you Lord some of us for the first time today just saying yes to you fully and completely some of us for the first time in a long time but we're coming back to the table Lord Jesus work in us Come and invade our lives and help us to know that you were there all the time you were there all along help us to see that help us to live resurrection life in reality in our everyday in the ordinary help us to do that Lord we receive from you now surrendering our lives giving you everything